0: One of the things I love about God's word is that it is at the same time, timeless and eternal and unchanging, and yet applicable for every historical moment that we could ever face. And these two truths intersect every moment of our lives. And in the midst of this week, the beginning of November, is a lot like 2020, a season marked with uncertainty. And in seasons of uncertainty, we can find that fruit comes out of uncertainty if we are disconnected from our creator, disconnected from our relationship with God, disconnected from the life that God really designed for us to live. And so some people, and perhaps that's you, if you find yourself in the midst of the uncertainty of this season, filled with anxiousness, God's word today is going to be an anchor for your life. If you find yourself in the midst of uncertainty, needing to take control of life and circumstances into your own hands, God's word today is going to be an anchor for your soul. As we look out among our world, among our nation, our city, our society, and we see the kind of the fruit and ramifications of uncertainty, uncertainty of those who are living apart from a relationship with God, causing us more anxiety, more fear, more worry, and more need to take things into control. God's Word is our hope today. And so the majority of people, of course, are going to be experiencing this sermon the beginning of November, November 8th, 2020. And yet we have many people who listen to these messages for months and years after the fact. Whatever day you find yourself listening to God's Word, know that God is with you. God is for you and not against you. And as we open up our Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, we also find ourselves in the middle of a four-week sermon series, taking a look at three commands that the Apostle Paul gives the early church in Thessalonica. And because it was penned through Paul by the Holy Spirit, it has as much weight for us today as followers of Jesus Christ. And those three commands are to, as last week we discovered, to be joyful always. Today, we're going to take a look at 1 Thessalonians 5.17 and the command there. We'll get to that in a moment. Uh, Next week, we're going to take a look at 1 Thessalonians 5.18, which says to give thanks to God in all circumstances. And then in that fourth and final week of this four-week sermon series, we're going to see that Paul is saying that these commands, not suggestions, these commands for every follower of Jesus Christ on the planet are God's will for you. In Christ Jesus, and we'll explore that this Sunday before Thanksgiving. But again, if you have your Bibles, why don't you turn to one Thessalonians five eighteen? It's a very short section of Scripture. It's simply verse seventeen in one Thessalonians five. Whether it's a, a physical Bible that you have or you have access to a digital Bible, I'm reading from the New Revised Standard Version, and I'm first going to read verse seventeen, and then I'm going to read sixteen seventeen and 18. So you're going to hear what I'm going to preach on today, and then you're going to hear it in its short context. This is 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 17. Paul commands, pray without ceasing. But that's in the context of beginning in verse 16. To rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. So my friends, is the reading of God's word and as we say every week, thanks be to God. Now if you were with us last week, we took a look at joy and how joy has an environment, it has an expanse and it has an end. And we're going to same that we're going to follow that same uh, framework today with prayer that there is an environment for prayer, an expanse of prayer and an end of prayer. Now, in the same way that true, lasting, unchanging joy can only be found in God's presence, there's only one environment in which you can experience a real deep sense of prayer, a real deep connection with the maker and sustainer of the cosmos. There's only one environment and you can't find that environment on a map. Uh, That environment doesn't change that you have to somehow hunt down That environment is an unchanging, limitless reality that you have been invited into. And if we don't understand what that environment is, we can actually reduce the concept of prayer to something so shallow. We can begin to think that prayer is just simply a a, a magical combination of words that somehow unlock blessings from the universe or change circumstances if we don't understand this environment in which we can actually experience a real deep, profound ability to pray, our prayers can become very rote and routine. Even over time, we can begin to forget how powerful prayer actually is. And so like joy, true joy, lasting joy, unchanging joy, real prayer happens only in the presence of God. Now let me back up for a moment and let's think about how in society, how being with someone face-to-face actually changes things. You know, we many of us who are part of the Baylor Church family live in Los Angeles, and we know in Los Angeles, like in many cities around the globe, in fact, uh, it's just kind of the way the world works. If if, if you want to get a job, if you want to get a promotion, uh, if you want to get a gig, if you want to get a project, if you want your book to be published, you have to get a meeting with the right people. And so I hear so often, I mean, I've grown up in Los Angeles and the amount of times I hear people around me, whether it's friends or or people within our church family, even neighbors, people in our city, hoping to get a meeting with people who they know, if they just get that meeting, if they can just get into the room, if they can just get in front of the right people, if they can just sit down and just be heard, even if it's within an elevator to give that pitch, there's the possibility that there can be breakthrough. And in many ways, that we live in this society, we know that the only way to get those meetings is to find out who in our network is connected with those people. And so we look for people who are maybe one or two or three degrees of separation from the people that we need to get the meeting with. In fact, LinkedIn, the social media for business people, is actually built on this idea of networks. And you can know as you look up people within LinkedIn, how many degrees removed they are from your network to their network. But how do we get a meeting with God? I mean, if we have, uh, let's say the faith to believe what scripture says about God, that God is the most powerful being in the cosmos, that God is the source of true security, true peace, true significance, True joy, that if we actually believe at face value what God reveals about God's self through scripture, then actually all the longing that we all have ultimately is only gonna be found in being with God, face to face, all the things that we've ever longed for. In fact, Augustine said it so well that my heart is restless until it finds its rest in you, O God. Are you restless right now? Are you hitting refresh on your internet browser? Are you scrolling through the news cycle channels? Are you waiting for that phone call? Are you hoping to see circumstances that align in such a way? Well, Augustine reminds us that all of our longings can ultimately be found in the maker of heaven and earth. Not just in this, you know, just spiritually obscure, non-practical sort of way, but an actual tangible, real life, meaningful, profoundly pervasive in every area of our life sort of ways. You know, some of you, maybe you've been to places where you've seen uh, one of those signs. You know, they have those signs when you go to certain uh, businesses. You see those signs when you go to perhaps uh, places where there's security. You see those signs maybe perhaps when you go to uh, governmental buildings, maybe the courts. Maybe you see those signs maybe at Disneyland or Universal Studios. You see some of those signs, you know, even in restaurants or financial institutions, you've seen some of those signs even in casinos. And the sign says this, authorized personnel only. And you know, if you're not authorized personnel, that you have to get that credential, that badge, whatever that key code is to cross that threshold to go behind that which in this moment, you're not allowed to enter. And really it requires you to have somebody in authority grant you that authority, that credential, that ability to cross that threshold to that place where only authorized personnel only are allowed. I want you to imagine it this way. I want you to imagine the biggest, grandest at a cosmic scale in neon lights rotating, however you want to picture it, this massive sign that is in between all of humanity and God. And there's a sign that separates humanity from God and it says authorized personnel only. And we need to understand that scripture says that we as humans in our own strength, in our own morality, in our own good deeds, in our own uh, avoidance of bad deeds, we actually are not qualified. We are not authorized to be in God's presence. And look, before I even get to the importance of prayer and how to pray, I cannot underscore this enough. Because I could give you all the resources on how to pray. I could give you all the books in the world about prayer. I could give you a laundry list of all of what scripture says about prayer. And unless you understand the jaw-dropping, miraculous awesomeness of what it means to even have a fraction of a fraction of idea of what it even means to be in the presence of God, you and I, we will take prayer for granted. I mean, you've seen people on television, maybe you know some people in your life or a friend of a friend who perhaps have grown up their entire life and they have access to things and resources that you can't even imagine, and yet they take it for granted. You know what that's like. Maybe you have it a little bit in your own life. It seems like from the outside, for people who have access to certain things, those who don't have access to those things can look at it and say, how can you even take that for granted? And yet such is the way of the bentness and the brokenness of humanity in its fallenness that often when we have access to things, we we can take it for granted. And so what I want to do is I want to just for a moment, as we talk about the environment of prayer, of what it means to be praying with God in the presence of God. I want to just for a moment talk to you about how there is the Old Testament way and a New Testament way to get into the presence of God. And this is assuming what scripture says about itself, that to be in the presence of God is the place that you want to be, the place of comfort, of joy, of certainty, of security, of life to the full that God longs for you to have. And let's not take it for granted. So let's, let's just briefly, let's talk about the Old Testament, the, the, uh, the Hebraic way of entering into the presence of God. Now, here's the problem. You weren't allowed In the presence of God. No matter who you were, no matter how good you were, you were not allowed in the presence of God. In fact, there was only one person who was allowed to be in the presence of God in the tabernacle in the most holy of holies. And it was one person only once a year. On Yom Kippur, the day of atonement, the high priest had to go through a whole bunch of things just to enter into the presence of God. And the rest of Israel, the rest of God's people, weren't allowed to be in the presence of God. And yes, there was moments when God would show up and overwhelm the nation of Israel in power, and miracle. And yet, from a human point of view, only one person, the high priest, was allowed once a year to enter into God's presence. And in fact, I want to read for you kind of a longer section of scripture. This is Leviticus 16. And you know, I'm going to take my time reading this because we can easily take for granted the access that we have to God through Jesus Christ, which I'll talk about in a moment, which is the New Testament way of getting into the presence of God. So so just sit back, listen to this whole chapter of Leviticus, Leviticus 16, and I want you to hear how difficult it was for that one person just once a year to get into the presence of God. I mean, this is like top-level security. This is something even Ethan Hunt couldn't get into. Listen to this, Leviticus 16. The Lord spoke to Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron when they drew near the Lord and died. And the Lord said to Moses, tell your brother Aaron, who is the high priest, not to come just at any time into the sanctuary inside the curtain before the mercy seat that is upon the ark, or he will die. For I appear, God says, in the cloud upon the mercy seat. Thus shall Aaron come into the holy place with a young bull for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. He shall put on the holy linen tunic And shall have the linen undergarments next to his body. Fasten the linen sash and wear the linen turban. These are the holy vestments. He shall bathe his body in water and then put them on. He shall take them from the congregation of the people of Israel. Two male goats for a sin offering and one ram for a burnt offering. Aaron shall offer the bull as a sin offering for himself and shall make atonement for himself and for his house. He shall take the two goats and set them before the Lord at the entrance of the tent of meeting. And Aaron shall cast lots on the two goats, one lot for the Lord and the other lot for Azazel. Aaron shall present the goat on which the lot fell for the Lord and Offered as a sin offering, but the goat on which the lot fell for Azazel shall be presented alive before the Lord to make atonement over it, and it may be sent away into the wilderness to Azazel. Aaron then shall present the bull as a sin offering for himself, and shall make atonement for himself and for his house. He shall slaughter the bull as a sin offering for himself, and then he shall take a censer full of coals of fire from the altar before the Lord. And two handfuls of crushed sweet incense, and he shall bring it inside the curtain and put the incense on the fire before the Lord, that the cloud of the incense may cover the mercy seat that is upon the covenant, or he will die. He shall take some of the blood of the bull and sprinkle it with his finger on the front of the mercy seat. And before the mercy seat, he shall sprinkle the blood with his fingers seven times. He then shall slaughter the goat of the sin offering that is for the people, all the people, and bring its blood inside the curtain and do with its blood as he did with the blood of the bull, sprinkling it upon the mercy seat and before the mercy seat. Thus he shall make atonement for the sanctuary because of the uncleanliness of the people of Israel and because of their transgressions, all their sins, And so he shall do for the tent of meeting, which remains with them in the midst of their uncleanliness. No one shall be in the tent of meeting from the time he enters to make atonement in the sanctuary until he comes out and has made atonement for himself and for his house and for all the assembly of Israel." Then he shall go out to the altar that is before the Lord and make atonement on its behalf and shall take some of the blood of the bull and of the blood of the goat and put it on the horns of the altar. He shall sprinkle some of the blood on it with his finger seven times and cleanse it and hollow it from the uncleanliness of the people of Israel. I'm only halfway done. And I'm reading this to impress upon you how big of a deal this was for just one person once a year amongst all of God's people to enter into the presence of God. Two hands full, like overflowing with a mound or two hands full with a little dip in between. Seven times or was it six times? What was the fabric of the linen tunic and the sash? The gravitas, the weight the significance of that which is required just to enter into the presence of God by one person. Once a year, it goes on. When he has finished atoning for the holy place and the tent of meeting in the altar, he shall present the live goat. Then Aaron shall lay both his hands on the head of the live goat. And confess over all the sins of all the people of all of Israel. All of their transgressions, all of their iniquities. Putting them on the head of the goat. That's where we get scapegoat from. And sending it away into the wilderness by means of someone designated for the task. The goat shall bear on itself all their iniquities to a barren region. And the goat shall be set free in the wilderness. Then Aaron shall enter the tent of meeting, shall take off the linen vestments that he put on when he went into the holy place, and he shall leave them there. He shall then bathe his body in water in a holy place and put on his vestments. Then he shall come out and offer his burnt offering and the burnt offering of the people, making atonement for himself and for the people. The fat of the sin offering he shall turn into smoke on the altar. The one who sets the goat free for Azazel shall wash his clothes and bathe his body in water. And afterwards, and only afterwards, may he then come back into camp. The bull of the sin offering and the goat of the sin offering, whose blood was brought in to make atonement in the holy place, shall be taken outside the camp. Their skin and their flesh and their dung shall be consumed in fire. The one who burns them shall wash his clothes and bathe his body in water and afterwards may come into the camp. Are you exhausted yet? All this work for just one person once a year to enter into the presence of God, it continues on. Last paragraph. This, God says, shall be a statute to you forever. In the seventh month, on the Tenth day of the month, you shall deny yourselves and shall do no work, neither the citizen nor the alien who resides among you. For on this day, atonement shall be made for you to cleanse you from all your sins. You shall be clean before the Lord. Remember that. It is a Sabbath of complete rest to you and you shall deny yourselves. It is a statute Forever the priest who is anointed and consecrated as priest in his father's place shall make atonement, only the high priest, wearing the linen vestments, the holy vestments. He shall make atonement for the sanctuary, he shall make atonement for the tent of meeting and for the altar, he shall make atonement for the priests and for all the people of all the assembly, this shall be an everlasting statute for you to make atonement for the people of Israel once in the year for all their sins. And Moses did as the Lord had commanded him. Why did I read all of Leviticus 16 in the beginning of November in a sermon on prayer? Well, you might have heard I emphasized how frequently God towards the end used the word forever and everlasting There is this truth that God is trying to impress upon Moses, and I hope that the Spirit of God will impress upon you today, that on one hand, while God does not change, this statute of what it takes to be in the presence of God has not changed. It requires one, a high priest, to atone themselves, to cleanse themselves, to then enter into, after fulfilling all the requirements to be in the presence of God, to then make an offering so that all of God's people in their uncleanliness can be covered over their sin, made clean so that all of the people could be in God's presence. And this is what happened year after year, after year, after year, after year, throughout the entirety of the history of the nation of Israel as revealed through the Hebrew scriptures in the Old Testament. And sadly, some people, think that the only way that they can be in God's presence is to do that or some derivative of that. That to be in God's presence, I've got to do the right thing. I've got to Pray the exact right prayer. I've got to give enough money. I've got to attend the right amount of worship services and is online and count. And, and we get caught up in an Old Testament way thinking that we have to somehow measure up and earn our way into God's presence that somehow that we can get qualified to get the key code to scan through the thing to go through the authorized personnel only into God's presence. But on the other hand, there's a lot of people, and I think it's a growing amount in our country who are saying, you know what? What's the big deal about being in God's presence? I mean, does God even exist? I hear people say. And so we can go on one hand down one of two roads. We can either try to measure up and try to get into God's presence or we can forget that God's presence is the only and true and lasting place of security and joy and comfort and significance in the cosmos. And neither of those ways get us into the environment that our souls were made for. Neither of those two ways, trying to earn our way in or not even trying because we don't even think it's that valuable, get us into God's presence where we can finally live freely. Even in the midst of uncertain circumstances in our lives, even in the midst of uh, the world changing as we want it or know it, even in the midst of all that can happen outside of us and inside us, unless we get into the presence of God, things will never change. And that's why the significance of what God has done out of love for you, you've got to understand this, that God's desire and motivation for you to be in the presence of God vastly outshines your desire and your motivation to be in God's presence. And so God takes the initiative, and this is now the New Testament way of getting into God's presence. God takes the initiative of coming to us, fully God and yet fully human in the person of Jesus from Nazareth. Jesus, the Christ, Jesus, the Messiah, who not only lived a perfect life, who not only was tempted in every way that we've been tempted and yet never chose the wrong way, lived a life without sin, Jesus functioned as our great high priest and was able to do that which the high priest alone was able to do year after year. But how Jesus did it was that he didn't sacrifice a little furry animal. He sacrificed himself. Remember what John the Baptist said about Jesus the first time he saw him? Behold, behold, look. That's the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And so in the same way the high priest on the day of atonement would enter into God's presence to offer a sacrifice, Jesus, as our great high priest, put an end to the sacrificial system by presenting himself a pure and unblemished Lamb of God to be sacrificed on the cross for you and for me. And in that moment, it says in Scripture that the veil in the temple was torn in two. Not from bottom to top, from top to bottom. You know how thick the temple was? The temple curtain was? It was too thick for a human to tear it. It was an act of God. And what that symbolized was now God's presence was accessible to all people who put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, who is at the same time our great high priest and the sacrifice of all sacrifices, who takes away the sins of the world. You see, Jesus is alone the one who enters from behind that sign, authorized personnel only, to now walk with you through that gate, that door, that threshold into God's presence. I love how the book of Romans who says about Jesus, he who knew no sin became sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. So that we might be approved, that we might be enough, that we might become in Christ, not in our own good deeds, in Christ, authorized, family, adopted into God's family. Invited into God's presence, not just for a moment, for all of eternity. You see, the moment you put your faith and trust in Jesus, you have access. The meeting has been set. You don't have to go through anyone else. You don't have to go through me as a pastor. You don't have to go through a priest. You go through Jesus directly into God's presence. And you have audience with the king of kings, the Lord of lords. Not as one who looks at you with suspicion, but as a beloved child. You're now the king's kid through faith and trust in Jesus. I love how scripture says it this way. This is Hebrews chapter 4, 14 through 16. This is the good news that's beyond great news. Since then, we have a great high priest, that's Jesus, who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. Let's hold on to what we believe. Let's anchor our belief, our perspective, our light in that which we know to be true. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who in every respect has been tested as we are. Yet was without sin. Let us therefore approach the throne of grace with boldness. Let us therefore approach the presence of God with courage, with boldness. Why? So that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. Do you have need right now? Like real need? The type of need I think you and I have is a type of need that no doctor, no news pundit, no employer, no political party can truly satisfy to the level that God can in God's presence. And therefore, because of what Jesus has done as our high priest and as our sacrifice, we can enter God's presence with boldness to receive that grace, to receive that mercy in our time of need. And so we have to know that real, profound, deep prayer is simply a conversation with our Creator, one in which we speak and listen. This is not a monologue. This is not a, I direct you like you are the assistant of my life. This is a deep and an intimate relationship, that which we have been designed for, to be part of not only God the Father and God the Son and God the Spirit in that community, but to be invited into it and to be part of God's people. And we now, unlike the nation of Israel back then, we don't have to outsource it to a high priest who only goes on our behalf once a year. I mean, imagine what that was like when he's trying to remember all the things that he's got to do. Do you think he had people come up to him saying, hey, uh, while you're in there, can you put in a good word for my, you know, family? I mean, imagine what that would have been like to try to go through one person to get into God's presence once a year. That has now been done away, not because God says, well, now I've changed my mind on how we're going to do it. No, he says forever. That was a foreshadow. That was a foretaste. That was a setup and a sign for that which we can experience now. Our great high priest, Jesus Christ, the ultimate sacrifice enables us to be in God's presence every moment of every day. You don't have to wait to Sunday to be in a conversation with God. You don't have to wait until you're in a physical sanctuary to be in a conversation with God. You don't have to wait until you can get to a comfortable place where you can close your eyes and have quiet to be in a conversation with God. You don't have to have your Bible open alone to, to be in a conversation with God. You see, Jesus has given you access to the expanse of God that is eternally present. Choose to step into that environment through faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And when you do so, that moves us into the second area here that you're taking notes, not just the environment of prayer, but the expanse of prayer. You see, there is no moment, no situation, no no time of day, no time of year where you can't have a conversation with God. And if I could just kind of orient it this way briefly, you can have a conversation with God about God, you can have a conversation with God about you, you can have a conversation with God about other people in your life, and you can have a conversation with God about the world and all the circumstances within it. Again, for those of you taking notes, uh, let's say you want to have a conversation with God about God. Well, Psalm 145 is one of many psalms that I personally go to that I found when I read this psalm as a prayer. I get words that I use, God-given words, for how I can have a conversation with my creator about my creator. Listen to this. I won't read through the whole thing, but just, just hear some of these verses. Psalm 145. David writes, I will extol you, my God and my King, and bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you, God, and praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. His greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall laud your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts on the glorious splendor of your majesty. On your wondrous works, I will meditate the might of your awesome deeds shall be proclaimed, I will declare of your greatness, they shall be celebrated the fame of your abundant goodness, and shall sing aloud of your righteousness. When you were humbled by the reality that Jesus has given you access to God, one of the most powerful ways that you can pray to have a conversation with God is to talk to God about God. And the best way we can do that is open up God's word and see what God says about God's self. And we can begin our prayers by exalting and adoring and honoring who God is. And as we begin to pray to God, to have a conversation with God about God, we can begin to have a different perspective also about who we are. You see, there's great ways in which we can talk to God about ourselves. One of those that I go to often is Psalm 51. Again, I won't read the whole chapter, but if you would maybe read later, this is Psalm 51. This is King David, same author of Psalm 145, who after choosing the wrong way with Bathsheba, he's convicted of his brokenness and of his sin. As a result of God using Nathan the prophet to reveal to him how off he was, he goes before God. He knows that in faith, he has access to God. And he prays this, he says, "'Have mercy on me, O God, "'according to your steadfast love, "'according to your abundant mercy, "'blot out my transgressions. "'Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity "'and cleanse me from my sin.'" For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me against you. You alone, God, I have sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you were justified in your sentence and blameless when you passed judgment. Indeed, I was born guilty, a sinner when my mother conceived me. But you desire truth in the inward being. Therefore, teach me wisdom in my secret heart. Purge me, O Lord, and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. And I love this. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and put a new and right spirit within me. You see, God knows you better than you know yourself. And so when you begin to talk to God about you, on one hand, you are humbled at your need for a Savior. And at the same time, you are lifted up at the truth that that Savior comes to you out of love, not because you've earned that love, but because He first loved you. And you now have this humble courage. You have this boldness. You have this joy. You have this identity that can't be shaken. As Romans 8 says, that now we are more than conquerors in Christ and nothing shall be able to separate us from the love of God. If you find yourself in a place of uncertainty, in a place of need, in a place of doubt, in a place of sorrow, in the place of things maybe not going the way that you hoped or they seem like they're going the way that you do hope and you're putting your hope in earthly things, come back to talk to God about who you are and find that security in his view of you. But it's not just that. You can begin to have conversations with God about other people. I love this in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 through 20. Let me frame it this way. Imagine, this is Paul praying for the Christians in Ephesus. Imagine if this was your prayer for the neighbor you don't like. Imagine if this was your prayer for the person within your church family that you know voted very differently than you. Imagine if this was your prayer for the person that oh, you've seen them on social media, you know they're a believer, you can't believe that they are a believer because of what they've been saying on social media. Imagine if this was your prayer for them. Really, this can only happen when you are in the presence of God and you see God for who God really is. You see yourself, how God sees you, and as you have a conversation, with God about others, perhaps Ephesians chapter 3, 14 through 20 is how you pray for them. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and earth takes its name. So I pray that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you, may be strengthened in your inner being with power through his spirit and that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith as you are being rooted and grounded in love, I pray that you may have the power to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. That's the kind of prayer that you pray on somebody else's behalf, even if you don't like them, even if they seem so uh, different in how they view the world. That's what happens when you enter into the presence of God and you talk to God about somebody else. Put that into practice this week. Watch what happens. Watch how your need to be right, your need to be on the winning side, your need to put other people down just melts away. You see, that's real prayer. That's how Paul says, pray without ceasing because there's no lack of opportunities to have these kind of prayers. And finally, you can have a conversation with God about everything in the world. In fact, one of the most famous, of course, all prayers in scripture is when the disciples ask Jesus how to pray and he teaches them how to pray. Some of you, you, you know exactly where in scripture that it is. Many of you have it memorized by heart, but I want to give you, if you don't know where it is, Matthew chapter six, verse nine through 13 is one of the sections in which it's recorded. It's known as the, the Lord's Prayer. This answer that Jesus gives when his disciples ask him, well, how do we pray? And this is uh, in Matthew six, nine through 13. It's recorded as this, pray in this way. Our father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, God, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we've also forgiven our debtors. And do not bring us to the time of trial, but rescue us from the evil one. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. You see, as we enter into the presence of God through faith and trust in Jesus, we can begin to have conversations with God about everything in our life. And as we see the different things in our life, we can begin to invite prayerfully, God, would your kingdom come? Would your reign and rule come? Would your presence come here on earth in my life, in my relationships, in my social media feed, in my place of work, in my coming and going, here on earth as it is in heaven? You see, when you begin to realize again, the deep, deep, gift that it is to be in the presence of God, you can begin to unlock prayers without ceasing as you have conversations with God about God, with God about yourself, with God about others, and with God about the world. And then in conclusion, you realize what the end of prayer is. Now, last week, of course, we took a look at how end can mean the limit, the the terminus, the the stopping point. And of course, when you realize that a conversation with God is what it looks like to be in God's presence, Scripture says that there is no end to prayer. There is no limit to being able to have a conversation with God. When this hour of worship wraps up, that doesn't end your ability to go right to God the Father We want to resource you to be a praying person. You can go to our website. In fact, at resources.belair.org, we have a long list of resources to help you become more of a praying person. And you don't have to wait until next week to start up again prayer that only happens, perhaps you think, in just a worship service. There is no end to having a conversation with God. You can do it while driving, while working, while playing, while in the midst of an argument there is every moment of your life is an opportunity to have a conversation with God. There is no end. But also end means purpose or the means to an end. And in many ways, we need to understand my working definition, for example, of prayer being a conversation with God Then when we have conversations with people, the purpose of conversations isn't to get them to do what you want them to do. I mean, sometimes you feel like it is that time and sometimes you have conversations with people to get them to do what you want them to do. But real conversations with people that you love, with people that you respect with people that you value, when you have conversations with them, there is a transformation that happens in that relationship and a transformation that happens through that relationship. And so the purpose of prayer is transformation that can happen in your relationship with God. I love Mother Teresa's prayer, life change when she realized, I used to pray, and I'm paraphrasing this, I used to pray just to change God, but then I realized that often I prayer to change me. I love some of these quotes as well. Corey Tenboom says this: Is prayer your steering wheel or your spare tire? Martin Luther says to be a Christian without prayer is no more possible than to be alive without breathing. And this is what Mother Teresa said. She says, I used to pray that God would feed the hungry, to do this, to do that, but now I pray that he will guide me to do whatever I'm supposed to do, what I can do. I used to pray for answers and now I pray for strength. I used to believe that prayer changes things, but now I know that prayer changes us and we change things. You see, a conversation with God, the purpose of prayer is to transform you. But God is transformed as well. On one hand, God is unchanging. Scripture is clear about that. And yet invites us to pray. Longs for us to come to God in prayer. Longs for us to have conversations with God. There is nothing in our life that is too small to pray about. I mean, we worry about the smallest things. If that's true, shouldn't we pray about the smallest things as well. We have an opportunity, as we've been saying as a church, to be not just people who fit prayer in every once in a while, but to be a praying people. That we would prayerfully enter into every moment of our life. That we would not do things on our own, that we would do so in communion, in relationship, in conversation with God. So my prayer for you on this day and every day is that you would catch just an iota of the grandness of the fact that Jesus has now come out to bring you in to God's presence. In that place of God's presence, would you just talk with God? Would scripture be your guide? Would great leaders of the faith be your guide? May we help you become praying people as well. Let's do this church. Let's be praying, people. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you that you are a high priest. You are the great sacrifice that enables us to be in God's presence. May we catch just the greatness of that, the grandeur of that. May that humble us. May that encourage us. May it motivate us to sit at God's feet, to have an unending conversation with our Creator. We're excited for the transformation that will come because of it. In Jesus' name I pray we say together, amen.